Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. So, we, uh, in the You Ask For It series, we, uh, we, we uh, asked you what you wanted sermons on in the summertime, and, uh, and so we got a whole bunch of op- opportunities to share, but one of the ones that I think was mentioned most was uh, wanting to know about heaven. And so we decided that we would put it off rather than just do a one-shot deal on heaven in the summer, that we would actually do it over several weeks. And so that's what we're starting today is this series called For Heaven's Sake. If you uh, were around North Sound 11, 12 years ago, we did a series on heaven at that time. Many of you are new since then. I had a pastor friend who felt like uh, the Ten Commandments should be preached on every year, and so every year he, uh, he preached on the Ten Commandments. I'm not sure we need to do heaven that often, but so many of you wanted it that we decided it was time to kind of look at that again. And it seems like a number of folks in the North Sound family have lost loved ones. Just uh, yesterday, we had a service here for uh, Michael Crossett. Michael um, developed ALS and uh, passed away much earlier, it was only about six months or so after diagnosis than anticipated. His wife, uh, Signe, and Michael, and, their, and Signe's mom, Laura Sunquist, um, were part of the North Sound family before they moved to Wenatchee. Some of you know Larry uh, Sunquist and the, the larger family. But we had Mike's service here, and uh, it was just a reminder when we have these services, not only of our loved ones that have gone on, but also our own mortality, and that the statistics on death are rather amazing. One out of one people die. And so we're going to talk about where we go when we die today, and then over the next few Sundays, we're going to continue our discussion uh, about heaven. I found uh, Randy Alcorn's book that's maybe 15 years old helpful. So those of you that like to dig deeper, um, his book is called Heaven, a Comprehensive Guide to Everything the Bible Says About Our Eternal Home. Um, So if you want to dig a little deeper, that's one resource. There are some other great resources. The Bible sheds a lot of light on it as well. Um, That was, where's the drummer for the, uh, okay, so. We're going to talk about what happens when we die. You all ready for it? Are you ready for death or the sermon? Okay. Both. Good. Good. Okay. So this is kind of an important question. And um, the sermon is going to be a little heavy because we're going to look at a whole bunch of Bible verses that gets into what heaven is like. But it's not academic for us, right? We have all lost loved ones, and we all anticipate our own death in some ways. And so, as I say, this is, this is more than academic, but you still need to fasten your seatbelts as we uh, look at some scriptures that talk about what <clears throat> heaven is actually going to be like. An American tourist visited a Polish, famous Polish rabbi, uh, came, uh, Hofetz came uh, back in the 19th century, and uh, astonished to see the rabbi's home was so sparsely furnished. It was just a simple room with books and a table and, uh, and a bench. And the tourist asked, Rabbi, where's your furniture? Where's yours? Responded the rabbi. 
Mine, asked the puzzled American, but I'm a visitor here. I'm only passing through. So am I, said Hofitz King. Friends, we are passing through, and no matter how long we live, our life on this earth is relatively short in light of eternity. Many of us who study the Bible believe as I do that when we die, we don't go to the eternal heaven, but we go to what theologians call the intermediate state or uh, the intermediate heaven. And this is probably an expression that you've not heard because those words exactly are not in the scriptures, but the scriptures refer to this place in a number of different ways. And so we're going to unpack that together this morning. Our time together, again, is going to be something of a Bible study, but we're going to go quickly. So I've just uh, not printed out for you on the screen the scriptures, but I've done the references. So if you're interested and later today after breakfast and the car show, you want to dig a little bit deeper, um, you may want to just jot down those verses as well. So there's going to be four points today. They're both relative, or they're both Did I tell you I was a history major and not a math major? Um, We have four points this morning, and uh, we're going to go through those fairly quickly. The first is that the intermediate heaven is not the eternal heaven. The intermediate heaven is not the eternal heaven. So in the old days of flight, if you wanted to go to the South Pacific, you had to get there via Hawaii because the airplanes didn't have enough fuel on board to get all the way to where you may want to go. So I want to give you a scenario that will help us to get a picture of what we're going to be talking about this morning. So let's say when you were a child, you saw pictures of Tahiti. And you always wanted to go to Tahiti. It would be heaven to you to go to Tahiti. But you were going to do it in the days when the airplanes couldn't get all the way there. And so you noticed in your trip that you were going to be stopping in Hawaii on the way. So you decided you'd never been to Hawaii. You would spend a few days there. And your airplane landed in Hawaii and you got off the airplane and you saw palm trees. And it was 78 degrees or 82 degrees, whatever works for you. And you saw sandy beaches, and you discovered that the people in Hawaii call the place in which they live paradise. They call it paradise. And after a few days in Hawaii, before you got on the airplane to go to Tahiti, you realized that this really is paradise. And you went on to Tahiti, and indeed Tahiti was heaven for you. Now, every analogy can get stretched perhaps a little bit too far, but I, I, I hopefully that will help you to understand what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, and that is, while the analogy may be a little strained, it helps us understand the fact that when we die, we go to a place called paradise But paradise is not the eternal heaven. It's not where we're going to eventually live with the Lord. So as we unpack this this morning, 
I, I want you to understand something from this, from the scripture. The eternal heaven is described in Revelation chapter 21, and this is where we're eventually going to end up. Revelation 21, 1 to 3, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Friends, this heaven, according to the scripture, doesn't yet exist. It doesn't exist in current time and space because it hasn't yet been created. One day, it will be a reality. At the end of time, it will become a reality. But right now, it is not a reality. And the Lord's Prayer describes when this will become a reality. A little later in the service, Pastor Robin will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. We will say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that will be when the new heavens and the new earth are created and they are one, the new heavens and the new earth. And then that will be the place where the Lord's will is done. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians chapter one. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. So this is the heaven we think of when we think about our eternal home in the future, when we think about a destination for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. So the second thing I want to suggest this morning about this intermediate heaven or paradise, as it's called in the scripture, is the place where our spirits go when we die. So when we gather together for a memorial service of a friend or a loved one who has died in the Lord, we encourage one another with the expression that that our loved one is now with the Lord. That is a, a very appropriate and a very biblical way of describing the situation. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, yes, we are of good courage, And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Absent from the body, at home with the Lord. Now, there are some who suggest that we enter into what is called theologically soul sleep. And so when we die and uh, our spirits go into sort of a suspended animation and they await the final resurrection... And some good people, wonderful Christian people, have this perspective, and that's why it's a bit challenging because we dig into the Word and we do the best we can, but sometimes we have to approach Scriptures humbly. We have to do so recognizing that we are not God and we don't know everything, but I just don't see this perspective in the, in the Scripture. They take, I think, the euphemism for death that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians, fallen asleep in Christ, and then they build a case for soul sleep. But I I believe the clear teaching of Scripture is that when a child of God dies, she is immediately with the Lord in heaven. 
The writer of Ecclesiastes puts it this way, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. So our bodies remain behind in this time, but our spirits go to be with the Lord. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which we'll return to in just a minute, we see there was a transition in the state of the one who died. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. He said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You'll be with me today in paradise. That doesn't suggest to me some kind of a soul sleep, but rather that there's an immediate transition upon death that those who die in Christ are with him. Paul talks about this transition in his own life in the letter to the church in Philippi. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. The evidence of Scripture here points to the wonderful fact that when we die, our spirits go to be with the Lord. So number three regarding the intermediate heaven is that we get to the intermediate heaven as a result of the judgment of faith. If you remember in the parable that I mentioned earlier, it's called the parable of Dives and Lazarus, although Dives I don't think is mentioned by name there. And it's the case where the rich man had a different destination after death than the poor man Lazarus that was at his gate. The scriptures say that this man, Dives, went to Hades. And that is the intermediate state for those who die without Christ. So I probably should have done a graphic here, but if you imagine us having life here on earth, and when we die, we go to one of two places according to the scripture. Both are intermediate states. Both are temporary places until the new heavens and the new earth. When we die in Christ, we go to a place that the scripture identifies as paradise. When we die having rejected Christ, we go to a place called Hades. And that's the name of this intermediate state for those who have rejected Christ. And it's important for us to understand that our entrance into God's presence does not come about because we've lived good lives. I think many of the people that are out there today who aren't engaged in a relationship with the Lord um, but believe in God would say, if you were to ask them about their future, they would say, well, I think the good things I have done have outweighed the bad things I have done. Therefore, on that basis, I will go to heaven. And at least the Christian scripture suggests that it doesn't have anything to do with how good or bad we are. It has to do with God's grace that sent Jesus onto the cross to become the means by which our sins are forgiven. And our faith that God did that for us in Christ is our response. And as a result of that picture, we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is the judgment of faith. It has nothing to do with what kind of lives we lived. Now, we're gonna talk more down the line a bit about the importance of the kind of lives we lived. But getting into paradise is a free gift 
from God. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2. He says, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Not being good folks. It has to do with our relationship to God through faith. And then he reinforces this point in his letter to Titus. He says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Salvation then, being saved from death and hell is not by works, not by being do-gooders. It's on the basis of faith in the free gift that God has given us. The gift of salvation along with it gives us the gift of eternal life. Now there is a judgment, another judgment. It's the judgment of works. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This judgment takes place in the future. There's something called the white throne judgment, which is a serious judgment where those who have rejected Christ will suffer a different faith, a different fate than those who have chosen to follow him. Revelation 20 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, the intermediate state, gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. When faced with a choice of following or rejecting Jesus, we need to think seriously about the consequences. Blaise Pascal was a famous French mathematician, and he is known uh, in math circles for being brilliant in that area, but he was also a very strong follower of Jesus Christ, and in philosophical circles, he's known for his wager, Pascal's wager, and Pascal's wager was this. Pascal's wager said that if I live my life as though there is a God and should find at the end of my life I was mistaken, what would I have lost? But if I live my life as though there is no God and find out in the end that I was wrong, I would have lost everything. The choice for faith in God, friends, makes all the difference in the world. I want to put a pastoral parenthesis into the talk this morning, and that is that it is not our place to judge the eternal destiny of another person. So that's not something that I engage in because I have no idea, even in the life of someone who may be a, a, a what we would call a reprobate, someone who has just totally turned their back on God and gone in the other direction. We just don't know in the final analysis what they may have chosen to do in terms of their relationship with God. And so, well, 
the teaching of the scripture is very clear in terms of the consequences of following Christ and accepting grace through faith, we are not in a position to judge relative to the choices of others. So we're going to go more deeply into the future about, in light of what we're talking about, how we should live. But if one's entire life has been formed with a different reality, would they really want to go to heaven? It's my belief that you're here this morning because you want to align your life with the teaching of Jesus Christ. You've received the gift of faith. You have chosen to follow him. And now, as a result of doing so, you want to align your life with him so that going to heaven will be a wonderful place where the values that you have developed your entire life are now being fulfilled in relationship with Christ. But if your entire life has been rejecting Christ, rejecting goodness, rejecting truth, rejecting beauty, why would you want to go into heaven and be with Christ when the circumstances and the values are contrary to everything you've based your life on? So, I think one expression of heaven and hell is we kind of get what we choose. So what we want to talk about next, and this is the fourth and final point this morning, and that is that the intermediate heaven is a physical place. Where is heaven. Where is this place we call heaven? Where is this intermediate state, this intermediate heaven called paradise? In our common usage, we speak of heaven as being in the skies, right? We, we point up and uh, we, we refer to the heavens and uh, somehow referring to the heavens as that space makes us think that somehow heaven might be there. But is that really where heaven is? If only our spirits go to be with the Lord in this intermediate heaven, this paradise, how can we be recognized? How can we play the harp on clouds with no hands? So the glimpses of heaven we have in Scripture do not suggest that we go to the Lord as unrecognized, disembodied spirits who float on the clouds on an unending church service. The first martyr of the church was Stephen, and we read his story in Acts chapter 7. Here's what he saw of heaven. He said, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So it seems that the intermediate heaven may be with us in some way. It may exist in our universe, in our world, in a way that we don't recognize. Remember Elisha's servant Gehazi in the Old Testament. When he and Elisha were surrounded by enemy forces, he was terrorized. He was so scared. And Elisha encouraged him by letting him see the reality of what was really taking place around him. From 2 Kings, he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain 
was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Can it be then more than what is immediately apparent to us is going on in the space around us? I have emphasized that I am a history major, not a scientist, so I, I, I step into the scientific realm very carefully. But there is a scientific community investigating something called string theory. And string theory suggests that there is one time dimension, but that there are multiple space dimensions. And I can't begin to give you a summary except to say that there may in fact even be scientific evidence that there is more than one thing going on in our world and in our universe than what is apparent to us through our five senses. It's a different realm of reality. And so in a very real way, paradise may be with us in some sense that we don't quite understand at this time. There's an enlightening passage of scripture in Romans 6 where these verses capture the situation of those who have been martyred for their faith. Remember that Revelation is rich in imagery, so, so don't take the physical circumstances necessarily too literally, but, but I want you to understand the larger picture and what it may be telling us about heaven. This is what is said about these martyrs. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white throne and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Again, Revelation is rich in imagery and needs to be interpreted carefully and humbly. I mentioned the book by Randy Alcorn earlier, and as we close this morning, he mentions 21 things that we learn about the intermediate heaven, about what we learn about paradise as a result of this simple passage and I'm just going to go over them quickly. They'll be on the screen. But here's what we know about the intermediate heaven. When these people who died on earth, when these people died on earth, they went to heaven. They were the same people killed for Christ on earth, so their lives have continuity in heaven. They were the same people killed for Christ on earth, so they have continuity. They are remembered for their lives on earth. They called out, suggesting some physical characteristics. They raised their voices, suggesting they're rational, communicative, and have emotions. They called out in one loud voice, suggesting heaven as a place of unity. They're fully conscious, rational, and aware of each other, God and what is happening on earth. They can ask God to intervene on earth and on their behalf. They can ask God questions. Heaven is a place of learning. They know what is going on on earth. They have a concern for justice and retribution. They remember their lives on earth. They pray for judgment on their persecutors who are still persecuting others so they can intercede for those on earth. They see God's attributes and that helps them understand. They are distinct individuals. They wear robes suggesting they have physical forms. They answer the, God answers their questions suggesting the process in heaven 
uh, suggesting process in heaven and the fact that we don't know everything even in heaven. They have to wait a little longer so the intermediate heaven coexists with the fallen earth and awaits the new heavens and the new earth. There is time in heaven as they ask how long. There is a familial connection with people on earth as they are identified as their fellow servants and brothers. And finally, God knows everything that is happening in heaven and on earth. So that's a lot to digest at one time. And we could take time on all 21 points and try and unpack them. But the important thing for us to know this morning is that the intermediate heaven is a wonderful place where we go the moment we die. We will be in God's presence. We will be in the company of our friends and loved ones. Death is not the end. It is only a passage to a place, a destination called paradise where we will be until the new heavens and the new earth. This morning has been perhaps a little more analytical than usual for what we have done. So I want to close with a different perspective this morning. And uh, it's uh, via video, Whitney Phipps narrates a famous Negro spiritual poem about the death of a Christ follower. He speaks of sleep or rest, and in this case, it's not soul sleep, but the wonderful experience of rest in the arms of Jesus. And as we look at it this morning, there's a little... um, disjunction between the the speaking and the movement of the lips and so what I have found helpful for myself sometimes if if that's a little bothersome is to just kind of uh, look look away from the video and appreciate the audio so let's watch Whitney Phipps weep not weep not she is not dead She is resting in the bosom of Jesus. Heartbroken husband, weep no more. Grief-stricken son, weep no more. She only just gone on. Day before yesterday morning, God was looking down from his great high heaven looking down on all his children, and his eye fell on Sister Caroline, tossing on her bed of pain, and God's big heart was touched with pity, with everlasting pity, and God sat back on his throne, and he commanded that tall, bright angel standing at his right hand, call me death. And that tall, bright angel cried in a voice like a clap of thunder, Call death! Call death! And the echo sounded down the streets of heaven till it reached away back to that shadowy place where death waits with his pale white horses. And death heard the summons, and he leaped on his fastest horse, pale as a sheet in the moonlight. Up the golden street death galloped, and the hooves of his horses struck fire from the gold, but they didn't make no sound. Up death 
rode to the great white throne and waited for God's command. And God said, go down death, go down, down in Yamacraw and find Sister Caroline. She's borne the burden in the heat of the day. She's labored long in my vineyard and she's tired, she's weary. Go down death and bring her to me. And death didn't say a word, but he loosened the reins on his pale white horse and he clapped the spurs to his bloodless sides and out and down he rode through heaven's pearly gates, past suns and moons and stars. On death road, leaving the lightning flash behind, straight down he came. And while we were watching round her bed, she turned her eyes and looked away. She saw what we couldn't see. She saw old death. She saw old death coming like a falling star, but death didn't frighten Sister Caroline. He looked to her like a welcome friend, and she whispered to us, I'm going on, and she smiled and closed her eyes, and death took her up like a baby, and she lay in his icy arms, but she didn't feel no chill. And death began to ride again up beyond the evening star into the glittering light of glory onto the great white throne. And there he laid Sister Caroline on the loving breast of Jesus. And Jesus took his own hand and wiped away her tears and he smoothed the furrows from her face and the angels sang a little song and Jesus rocked her in his arms and kept a saying take your rest take your rest weep not weep not she is not dead she is asleep she is resting in the bosom of Jesus.